and good evening, family. This evening's scripture reading is going to be from Ecclesiastes, um, chapter 2, um, a little lengthy reading, verses 1 to 23. It says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind is still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under the heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great, great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers, and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I just, I just denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my work, and this was a reward for all of my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what, he, than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of a fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like a fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man must die. So I hated my life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, all of it meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who, know, and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving which he labors under the sun? All his days work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, if I can get all of this uh, figured out, these buttons and so forth, uh, I'll be in good shape and I'll be in better shape and hopefully you will be also. I appreciate so much Roger being willing to read that long passage of scripture. I found out Wednesday night that uh, Randy Thompson 
uh, who was scheduled to be the one to read that long, uh, uh, that long uh, passage of scripture was not going to be here. And so I asked Roger uh, if he would uh, stand in, and he so graciously did. And I appreciate it uh, so very much, Roger. Uh, I really do. As you will note from your handout, uh, I'll be talking to you about the battle for the mind. Is there anyone who does not have a handout? Uh, guys, those who are passing out uh, handouts, can you help us out? As they're passing those sheets out, I want to say that I'm grateful uh, to uh, my fellow elders and to Mark and you, the uh, congregation, for giving me the opportunity to speak with you tonight. It's uh, a real honor. Uh, any, anyone else? It's a real honor, uh, and I, I hope the things that I have uh, to share with you tonight will be a source of comfort and will edify you as they edified me as I was uh, putting these words together. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Our Father, we are so grateful to you for all the many ways that you continue to grace and bless our lives. We're thankful to you for your word. We're thankful to you, Father, for your awareness of who we are and what we need for our lives. I'm amazed at your word as I read it. It makes me aware of your knowledge of mankind, of your love for mankind, and for we as your people to do all that we can to serve you and honor you, and not only to read your word, but to put your word into practice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The battle for the mind. This particular subject is not original with me. I happen to be reading some articles, and that particular title just jumped out at me. And I think the reason why it did is because for so long, I have had a battle for my mind. Part of that uh, is because uh, of being a veteran of the uh, Vietnam War, and part of it is just plain being human. I know when talking to people from time to time, uh, they don't say that they're having a battle for their mind, but I can tell that uh, they're not content, uh, oftentimes uh, discontent. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, we would think that a man like Solomon, who was the wisest man uh, to live, save Jesus Christ, would not be wrestling with uh, a battle for his mind. And in, in effect, that's what uh, I would say he was uh, wrestling with as we think about Ecclesiastes. Uh, chapter two, of what uh, Roger read, uh, for me, 
uh, among pretty, pretty much all of the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, says that uh, Solomon was a, a troubled man. And seeing the different things that the Bible uh, says or makes us aware of as it pertains to his life, uh, it's little wonder that he had a battle for his mind. In this book, we find a man proving through bitter experience that finding meaning in life apart from God is just plain futile. As most of us have already learned through life's experiences, contentment and security are found only in a personal relationship with our Father. The contentment we find often is evasive, and the reason why it is is because we certainly have not remained close to God. As I read Ecclesiastes, in many respects, I find Solomon an interesting man. He was continually fighting a battle. As we read what he has to say, it leads me to ask the question of each of us here this evening. What is your goal in life? To search for meaning or to search for God who gives meaning? <coughs> Two issues I would like to share with you as it relates to the mind. Number one, we think all would be all right if we could just find peace. Oftentimes, Jesus, as he would be encountering his disciples, he would say to them, peace be with you. Oftentimes, I have received text messages and email messages with the word peace that ends that particular text or that particular email. And what is peace? Well, peace can be defined in many ways. But as you will note on your outline, I have four lines there uh, that really would contain my definition, which also was not necessarily original with me, as to what peace is. And that definition is confident assurance in any circumstances. Confident assurance in any circumstances. Number two, God who gives meaning to life is who we all want in most cases, but struggle to obtain his favor on too many occasions. Let me say that again. God who gives meaning to life is who we all want in most cases, but struggle to obtain his favor on too many occasions. You would think as much as we attend Bible classes and as often as we come to a worship assembly that this would not be the case. So how can we master the thoughts that come to our minds? But well, one answer is exercising personal discipline. When I think about exercising personal discipline, I think back to Cain and Abel, the firstborn sons of Adam and Eve. 
If you have your Bibles, uh, I have the new, new NIV. Uh, let's go to uh, chapter 4 of Genesis, which we have here a portion of the account of Cain and, and Abel, beginning with verse 1. Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. My version may read a little differently from yours. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Note this. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I believe some versions say you must master it. Cain was having a battle for his mind. Unfortunately, he wanted to do things his way instead of God's way. And therefore, his life was never to be the same. Another way to master anxiety is to not allow apprehension to take away your joy or apprehension to have its way. By apprehension, I mean the fear of the unknown or jumping to conclusions as a result of thinking seriously about what can potentially happen without any founded or well-founded assurance that it will. It's something that happens to us all the time. In Isaiah, the 26th chapter, verse 3, in the English Standard Version of the Bible, we find these words. You, him, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Let me read that again. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. In you. I can recall when I was in Vietnam and always smelling gunpowder in the air, too often hearing the screams of the battlefield, and praying to God for help. I was amazed at how religious I had become when I wanted to return home alive again. 
And I have found comfort in praying to God because God comforted me. The unfortunate part about that situation was I made all kind of promises to God that I would do this and I would do that if he protected me. And he did. So my mind was eased. But unfortunately, some of you have heard this story before. Unfortunately, when I returned back to the United States and found out how the Vietnam veterans were being treated, it gave me a, an excuse to forget all of those promises. I began to have a battle for my mind. There's often times in our lives when we experience this or that, especially those things, those times that are unpleasant, that we go to our Father and we promise Him this or that, but what ends up happening is we do not allow Him to control the battle in our mind. Stated another way, we can never avoid strife in the world around us, but with God we can know perfect peace, even in the midst of turmoil. When we are devoted to God, our whole attitude is steady and stable. Supported by God's unchanging love, His mighty power, we are not shaken by the surrounding chaos. If we want peace, we must program our minds to keep our thoughts and our trust in God. What I'm saying to you this evening is nothing new. But the fact of the matter is our hospitals and our various health units are full of people who are having a battle with their minds. And there are people who are having a battle with their minds because their loved ones are having a battle with their minds. There's a special bond that exists between our Lord God Almighty and his people as a result of the blood of Jesus Christ and our obedience to him in obeying his gospel. The only gospel that has the power to save mankind from his sins. And we too often fail to realize what we have by way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes when we want to help others outside of Christ, we fail to realize that the key in helping them to resolve the, the, the battles that are in their minds are to lead them to Jesus Christ. It's among the reasons why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In reading that last portion of that particular passage, the righteous will live by faith, 
I often wonder just how much faith we have. Do we truly believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation? Let's go back to Solomon and the battle for his mind that he experienced. In 1 Kings, the third chapter, verses 5 through 15, we find these words. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or well for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David, your father, did, I will give you long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. It's interesting that in verse 14, there is this proviso, this provision that God has given to Solomon. He says, and if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. I think sometimes as we read these passages of scripture, we fail to read between the lines. We refer to passages like 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verses 15 and 16, as it pertains to all scripture being inspired by God or being breathed by God and we go on to find out that it's useful for rebuking and correcting and for living in righteousness and we sometimes fail to realize that applies to us and if we put that into practice we won't have so many battles in our minds 1 Kings the 4th chapter verse 29 The Bible reads, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. 
Now, when you think of wisdom and, and the amount of wisdom that God promised Solomon, you would think he would be wise enough to follow God's every beck and call. But he was not. As I read my Bible, I don't see anywhere that indicates Solomon was saved. I once preached a sermon. Again, the title was not original with me. And the title of that sermon was Solomon, Man of Wisdom, but No Common Sense. 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse 1. 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, quote, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods, end of quote. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Shemash, the detestable god of Moab, Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Not once, but twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow the other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Notice here that God is concerned not only about what Solomon did, but his attitude. Our attitudes must be as such as we recognize who it is that's ultimately in charge. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. And what I have found in my life is that when I was not keeping God first and foremost in my life, that's when I was having difficulty. 
with the battle for my life. For most veterans, you have the opportunity to go to the Veteran Affairs Hospital or to a Veterans Affairs Counselor and they'll allow you to tell them about your experiences on the battlefield. And they'll tell you, especially when they see that you're angry inside, they'll tell you that, well, you're depressed or you have post-traumatic stress. I think during World War II, they used to refer to it as being shell-shocked. Well, the fact of the matter is, because of what these men have and women have experienced, they have a battle for their minds. My wife can tell you how after we were married, I would jump out of bed and run into a wall at the least provocation. Fourth of July's were murder for me, so to speak. I really would have wished my relationship with the Lord had been much closer at that time. When we have difficulties, what we must realize is when we come to the Bible class, when we come to the worship assembly, or when we are reading our Bibles, we need to be like James, the brother of our Lord, who said, do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Or put it into practice and do what it says. When it comes to the battle for the mind, we have to keep the main thing. Again, the main thing. Let me read some passages of scripture which relate to this battle for the mind that I'm talking about. Proverbs, the 30th chapter, verse 8. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Our daily bread is the word of God. Habakkuk, the third chapter, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I talked to my son, Kenneth. I'm sure the story with some of you when he was in the process of coming back from Japan. And I felt this was going to be a real battle for his mind once he had been on the missions over 15 years and was returning to the United States. And I also felt the same way for Etchko, who was leaving her parents, because I knew what Vicki and I suffered as a result of Kenneth being overseas so long. And I said to him, I said, son, uh, this might be difficult. This was his answer. Dad, we are aliens here. And we're going to be aliens when we get there. We're looking forward to it. 
as my nephew would say, Adrian, God's got this. We need to realize that when we're singing that song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, that that is true. It's a, it's a matter of not thinking about it just only, but applying it. You have heard this passage of scripture over and over again. Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 25 through 34. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more important than these? The Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, who, in my mind, really had to have a battle for his mind, and was reading a letter from a, a man who probably continually had a battle for his mind, but he had learned the secret to contentment. He writes to Timothy in the sixth chapter of Timothy, verses 6 through 11. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. There is, my brothers and sisters, a prescription for the battle for the mind. I recall on many occasions having the opportunity to have breakfast with Warren Hutchinson. I used to go over on every Wednesday morning, talk with him, and Sometimes I talked to him about the various battles that were in my mind, and he would share with me the various battles that were in his mind. And he would say to me, Everett, God knows all in all, and we know least in little. We need to listen to the Lord and do his will, perform his will, and be content. In other words, Warren didn't say this, but I translated what he was saying, and that is unquestioned acceptance regardless of the circumstances. Unquestioned acceptance regardless of the circumstances. Philippians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 4 through verse 8. I'm sure... Warren can quote this passage because we went over it over and over again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's another prescription for the battle in your minds. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How many of us, at the beginning of our day, or at the end of our day, go to our Father in prayer, and after we have prayed to him, we leave it with him. We allow him to fight the battle for our minds. When we put our trust in the Lord, and we program our minds with thoughts that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, we will be a long way to winning the battle for our minds. I want to say to you in conclusion that I'm not standing here by any means saying that or indicating that I have it together. But I'm saying this, I know who does. And I know that in this place there are those who are having a battle for their minds. Some have already given their lives to the Lord and some perhaps have not. I want to say to you this evening, God can handle whatever your situation is. If you're outside of Christ, you need the Lord. And we're here to help you find him. If you are in Christ and you need some help for the battles that are in your minds, we're here to help as well. We want to give you that opportunity to make it known whatever your need is. As together we stand and sing. Created me a clean heart.